this morning might be a little bit unusual. I'm going to be speaking in the main meeting this morning, and, and um, if you don't mind, I was going to kind of go over some thoughts. I've got so many thoughts I want to share out there, um, and I thought I would just go over some things, and actually you would help me maybe if I, if I can say something more clearly or whatever, because I'm really, if you don't mind, this may be kind of an unusual class because um, I've got some things that I think that are really, really important to share with the whole body. Clark is doing a presbytery in Dallas. He's, he's got to keep Clark and Martha in mind because he is really, he was speaking uh, Saturday night. Last night he's speaking this morning. He's speaking Sunday night. Tonight he's speaking Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, and then he flies back. So he's, he's really just pouring himself, his soul out to help people see the finished work of Christ. So we need to really keep him and Martha in prayer this weekend because he's affecting thousands. This is a huge church. You know, they've got, what, 13,000 members in Dallas. And um, he's, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Gateway, Gateway in uh, Dallas. And um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Robert Morris, pastor. And um, anyway, it's just really cool to see how the word is getting out. People are, are asking him to come and speak Omaha, Nebraska, Dallas, you know. So um, I'm just excited about it. But what I'm going to share in the main meeting that I really feel is such a key um, is I want to talk about the power of sin that is in our bodies, our physical bodies. Um, We are not in a civil war. We're not battling against ourselves. We're not a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. We are completely new on the inside. There is no sin in your heart as a Christian. There is no sin in your soul as a Christian. The soul and the spirit are new, new creations in Christ. But God did an awesome, awesome thing. He actually quarantined sin. Sin as a noun in the scripture. The sin, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 refer to the word sin 41 times. Romans 5, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8 refer to the word sin 41 times. 40 of those times it is a noun. It is not a verb. It's not an action. We think of sin as an action like, okay, I, I, I you know, I was jealous. I, I did something wrong. I stole a pencil from 7-Eleven. I sinned. But sin is a noun in these chapters because it is a power. It is an entity. It is a foreign power that is in your physical body. It is not who you and I are. And it's, this is huge. This is one of the apostolic doctrines that, are, that is the most misunderstood and neglected of all the apostolic doctrines. In fact, it is flat not believed in some circles. And the reason why this, and the problem with this not being seen is that it totally blinds us from, to, to the new creation. And it also puts us on a track of trying to heal ourselves and cure ourselves and work on ourselves because we're taught that there's sin still in your heart as a believer and you need to search it out or sin in your soul and you need to search it out. All these things that were pre-Christ. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked and evil and all those things and people run to that verse in Jeremiah forgetting that the Ezekiel prophesied of a new covenant that would come when God would take out the stony dead heart and put in a heart of flesh, meaning living, living heart, that he would give us a new heart, a new spirit. And he's done it. He's done it. 
a miraculous thing God did that he, see, actually sin was already in us from Adam. And so when he pulled, when he cut away, Colossians says, through the circumcision of Christ, through his death, he was able to cut away the body of our flesh if we believed on him. So in the cutting away of the body of the flesh, what he did was he raised us from the dead. We were dead in our sins, alienated from the life of God. He raised us up from the dead on the inside and called into being that which did not exist before, a new creation, but kept us in earthen vessels. And that's what Clark is talking about right now, treasure in earthen vessels. So as Clark is doing a series on treasure in earthen vessels, which is awesome, I'm going to talk a little bit about the earthen vessel this morning. Because if, you, if we don't understand that, that the power of sin is still in the body, you will um, you'll get down on yourself, you'll, you'll be as one who beats the air and not really know how to fight effectively what God has done in Christ. That's why the apostles were, said things like, set your mind on things above, fix your eyes on Jesus. See, there's no room in any of that to say, oh, and, and every now and then look for sin in your flesh so you can work on yourself. No, set, fix. The mindset on the flesh is death, Paul said, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. It's a whole new reality. It's a whole new way of walking. That's why Paul said to overcome the flesh is simply to walk in the spirit. How simple can that be? How can that be that simple? If we have to work on our soul, work on our heart, and we have all this stuff that we have to work on, how can just walking in the spirit immediately nullify the flesh? It's because the flesh is not you. You walk in who you are and you immediately nullify the flesh, Paul says, because that's who you really are. Isn't that awesome? Uh, Okay. So anyway, I've got some thoughts I want to just share with you and and help help me gel some of these things in my thinking so we can communicate these things to the whole body because it's such a key thing. It really is one of the most neglected, misunderstood, unbelievable doctrines of the apostles that really explains so much so that we can grow in faith in the reality of who we are in him in him such an awesome work i just wrote a few thoughts um let's pray and we'll jump into this thanks so much for letting me do this because this helps me to uh flesh out some thoughts Lord, thank you so much. This truly is a great and mighty thing. As you said, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Lord, help us see more clearly than ever the awesome work of spiritual circumcision. Spiritual circumcision, whereby you cut away the body of the flesh and raised our inner man from the dead, creating us anew in Christ Jesus For we died, the old man died, and a new man was raised. And our life is now hidden with Christ inside of God. We sit with you, Lord, in heavenly places, in another realm. For you have truly translated us from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. O God, may the Holy Spirit, who is sent from heaven, show us these things. For the Spirit of God is given to show us the things of God that are freely given to us in Christ. For who can know these thoughts but the Spirit of God? For the Spirit knows 
the mind of God. And the Spirit is given to show us the deep things of God. As Jesus said, the Spirit shall come and show you all things that belong to me and now to you, for you are in me and I am in you. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we're seeing like never before. We shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Amen. Awesome. You know, this whole thing about uh, Hebrews talks about how the old covenant covered sin, but it didn't take away sin. And this, that concept is key to this whole thing of spiritual circumcision because what God did in the old covenant was he covered sin by the blood of bulls and goats looking forward to what Jesus would do in his death. So if they obeyed the covenant of law that God handed to them in doing these rituals, God could dwell among them, but only behind a a thick veil. And he could be in their midst if they would follow these things because he looked forward to what he would do through Christ. It just covered sin, didn't take it away. But when Jesus came, when he died, he literally took away the sin of the world. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. And this awesome reality, well, you, can, you can see it in the, in, on the Day of Atonement. They would have, as we know, the scapegoat, and they would lay hands on the goat. They would lay hands on two goats, actually. They would slay one, which is a picture of Christ's death. Then they would lay hands on another goat, which is a picture of the sin being transferred to this goat that was just slayed. It was a picture, a metaphor. And they would drive the goat out into the wilderness, never to be seen again, which is a picture of sin being removed through the death of of another, taken away. Um, You see the prophets talking about the day would come when God would separate our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. A, A very strange Uh, Isaiah says the Lord will rise and do a very strange and unusual work. His work is extraordinary. Isaiah talks about this unbelievable work of the removal of sin from mankind. Um, The scripture says in the prophets that that the day will come when the Lord shall remove iniquity from Israel and search will be made for sin in Israel and none shall be found. How can these things be? See, if we're not saying that, how can these things be? Then we're missing it. I mean, God, this is, religion can't touch this. Religion cannot touch this. And that's why, you know, religion is, you know, there's a doctrine out there, a teaching out there that says um, that, you, that you have indwelling sin, and that's true if they, if, if they know what they're saying, but they don't know what they're saying in this particular teaching because they say you have indwelling sin and you need to search your heart for sin so you can address it, acknowledge it, repent of it, and somehow get better. Um, but, but the scripture says that, yes, we do have indwelling sin, but it is not in me, Paul says, it is in my flesh, Romans 7. And it's also, Paul says, that we are not in the flesh now, if you're in Christ, but in the spirit. 
So think about this logically. I mean, if, if God has quarantined the power of sin and sin is a noun as an entity in my members of the, my body, as the apostles taught, in the members of my body, in my physical body, in my flesh, if God has left the power of sin in the body and cut away the body of the flesh, raised up a new inner man to be joined to him, why am I going back and trying to find sin in the flesh to somehow help the new creation? That makes sense. Paul says, no good thing dwells in my flesh. If you want to look for sin, you'll surely find it. No good thing. God's not into redeeming the body now. He will. Our body will be redeemed. We wait for the redemption of the body. But right now, spirit and soul is new. A new creation, a new heart, a new being. Behold, if any, any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The renewal of the mind is not a reference to sin in the mind. Our mind is being renewed because we are catching up by revelation to what is. There's no reference to sin in that statement. It's not like, it's not a cleansing of the mind. It's a renewal of the mind. And the reason why there, the reason that's a process, a renewal of process, is because we are still in these bodies and the mind has to work through the brain, through the infirmity of our flesh, the brain. And so there is a process of renewal and revelation from the spirit so we can, the spirit is catching up to what, who we are. And as we grow in this revelation, the scripture says the spirit will put to death the deeds of the what? The bad soul? The body. I mean, it's so clear. It's, it's the, the power of sin in the body is what must be short-circuited. Paul says he tried to do it in his own efforts. He said, I, I serve the law of God with my mind. I had the knowledge of the law, and I had the, the right and wrong concepts in my mind, and I tried to do this and pull this off. I tried to do good things and be righteous and so forth, but I found another law working in my members, in the members of my body, he says, always taking me captive to my, or taking my mind captive every time. And I thought that, I, you know, if I just knew, if I had the knowledge of the, of the right and wrong in my mind, that would be enough, but I, I learned that there was a, a, another power and the members of my body taking me captive every time. And so then he said, who shall deliver me from what? The evil in my soul? No, from the body of this death. The body, the body, the body. The power of sin is in the body. And so he says, who, deliver, who shall deliver me from this? That's why it's called the flesh. It's called the flesh because it's a reference to the body. And so he says, thanks be to God, Jesus Jesus has set me free because there's a higher power, a higher law or principle than just the law of God in my mind, just knowledge of right and wrong or knowledge of what I should be or do. There's a higher law that short circuits this other power of sin and death that works through the flesh. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's a whole new reality in union with him. I'm a new creation. A new life has come. Now I live by another life. And now with this new understanding, my mind is not looking to the flesh, not, look, not set on the flesh, but my mind is set on the spirit. For the mindset, and I like that phrase, mindset. There's a mindset. There's a mindset. There's a religious mindset out there that focuses on, the, on sin and the flesh in order to make you more holy or more righteous or more sanctified. It is era. It is, it is, it is disastrous because it actually gives strength to sin. And that's why you see these people getting so depressed, trying to be holy. 
as they see their sin, they think they're making progress and they see more sin and they get more depressed and they, they think they're making progress and they see more sin and they, and they get depressed. After why, they, they either give up on, on this Christ, so-called Christianity, they either give up on it or they start playing the game and hide and mask what they're struggling with and they start looking for sin in other people. Take the attention off of them. And they do. And they start seeing, you know, sin in your heart, you know. And then, and, you know, if you, and then they, it's, a, it's a mess, you know. It, it's, a, it's the Galatian divide, biting and devouring each other mess, you know, where they lose this sense of blessedness among themselves, where they're, where they're all looking at Christ and encouraging each other in the spirit. They start saying, well, I think, you know, some brother sees sin in their life and they say, maybe it's, I think it's pride in your life that you're saying, you're seeing sin in my life. No, it's pride in your life. You know, it's like de- biting and devouring one another. It's ridiculous. And they're not getting any holier. They're getting, you know, they're just stifling. They're frustrating the grace of God. They're quenching the spirit of life. Paul says you can do that. Because you're, if, you're, if you're carnally minded, fleshly minded, religiously minded in terms of trying to, do, trying to become more Christ-like in a fleshly way, he says, having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected in the flesh? Are you going back to trying to, you know, through the law is the knowledge of sin. The law brought the knowledge of sin for a purpose so that every mouth would be shut and you would look somewhere else for your help for your hope and now you've you've you've, the law came and it showed you needed a savior and you got the you received the spirit now having begun in the spirit you're going to go back to the law that's basically was just to show you to shut up to show you that that every mouth might be shut that every mouth might realize that we can't do this you're going to go back to that he goes you know that's that's what's happening so anyway, I just want to share out there this morning about those, these thoughts about the, uh, um, you know, just how the apostles joined the power of sin to our mortal body and how important that is to grasp because I'm telling you, it will totally revolutionize your thinking about yourself as a new creation, as a son and daughter of God. It will totally revolutionize who you think you are, who you see yourself as. You are not in a civil war with yourself. Peter says this. He says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Huh. So the soul is on that side and the fleshly lusts are on this side. So the fleshly lusts are not in the soul. It's warring against the soul, the new soul. James says this, he says, and what, is, and what is the source of all the quarreling and fighting? What is the source? James 4, verse 1, he says, what is the source? Is it not the power of sin in your members, in your body? James himself says it. James, Peter. Peter says, seeing you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth in that you have believed on this Christ and have been redeemed with precious blood and not by silver and gold having purified your soul because of the new creation being born again of God see abstain from the fleshly lust that war against the new you it's it's really key it's really key to see that that this entity is inside our bodies and not in you the real you it is pictured in the circumcision of Abraham in the very beginning. The only, the only condition of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. The only condition. 
Genesis 17 says, this is my covenant I'll make with you, Abraham. You are to circumcise the foreskin of your flesh and all your children, all the male children. And if you do not, if, if one is not circumcised, he has broken my covenant. If he is circumcised, he has kept my covenant. It's very simple. God did it that way because that was a picture of, of what was coming in Christ. As Paul says, the Abrahamic promises were a picture of the, of the seed, the Christ would come, the seed that was to come, a picture of all, a righteousness which is by faith, a covenant ratified that God would ratify through Christ. And now Paul says the only thing that matters is not um, you know, physical circumcision or uncircumcision. That doesn't matter, Galatians says. That's a, that was just a picture, but what matters now is a new creation. Amen. Because that's, if you're a new creation, you're in the covenant. Because if you're a new creation, you've been circumcised because the body of flesh has been cut away and, and the inner man has been raised from the dead, which is, which is what the Abrahamic covenant was trying to tell us. It's that simple. It's a, it's a work that only God can do. And the circumcision of Christ becomes our circumcision in the same way the bride of a male receives the circumcision of the male in union with the male. The male circumcision becomes the female circumcision by union. She cannot be circumcised. So it's a picture of the bride of Christ. It's a picture of the, Christ, of the bride receiving the circumcision of Christ, his death on the tree, the cutting away of his flesh. His death on the tree was our death. So we re- in union with him, his circumcision becomes our circumcision. Isn't that awesome? That's God. That's his wisdom. It's awesome. This is all in Colossians chapter 2 where he says the circumcision of Christ has become your circumcision because in union with him, his death becomes your death and his resurrection becomes your resurrection in union with him. I'm telling you, saints, the church needs to hear this clearly and be set free from a self-introspective Paul says this in the letter to the Corinthians. He says, why do you judge your own motives? Why are you judging each other's motives? And he goes, I don't even judge my own motives. And, you know, he goes, he goes what are you doing that? I mean, it, see, it's, it's the very opposite of the dynamic of the Spirit. The Spirit says, no, no man after the flesh anymore. Forget the flesh. Amen. But no, everyone after the Spirit. Amen. They're either in life in Christ or they're in death without Christ. Amen. Isn't that awesome? It's so simple. God made this so pure. God is not a God who does a work that has been hidden from the beginning of time, the secret hidden in God, a great mystery. He doesn't send his own son to die merely to set up a war within you so that you can hopefully make it if you feed the dog that, you know, you want to win. The dog that is, we've heard the two dogs are fighting. The dog you feed wins. No. God's not like that. God is not a God that just fixes something in a half way. You're like, I'm going I'm to give you um, the power of the Spirit so you can, you can work on your soul, so you can work on yourself and get better. No, God raises the dead and calls into being that which did not exist before. It is finished. And we sit with Him in heavenly places. Come unto me. Take my yoke upon you. You shall find rest for your souls. Not something to work on. Rest for your souls. Oh, man. It's so clear. I mean, it's so clear and pure and simple. It's just incredible. It's incredible. I'll tell you what it is. It is so profound. It's so profound. Yet very simple. And that's God. Think about it. That's how he does everything. He does things and it's just 
He does things, and it's like, I love that the, uh, the watermelon sermon that William Jennings Bryan preached years ago. You know, the, he said, you know, I don't know. I, I take a watermelon seed that God made, and I put it in the ground and water it, and roots go down, and green things come out, and leaves, and a flower, and after a while, this little bulb produces, is produced, and then it gets bigger and bigger, and there's green and white stripes on it, and, and then I cut it open, and it's full of red and, and sugar and delicious, and, and there's a thousand other of those same little seeds inside it to do the same thing again. I, he goes, I don't know how that works, but I eat it, and I enjoy watermelon. God does the hard part, and he simply says, do you believe? Will you plant the seed? Do you want watermelon? Plant the seed. Don't worry about how it works. Did I not say, if you would but believe, you would see the glory of God. Of God. Of who God is. The glory of who God is. Only God can do the hard part. An awesome work that he actually cut away the inner man from the outer man. The body is dead because of sin, the scripture says, and it is dying and decaying. But the inward man is renewed every day because of the righteousness of Christ. The outer man, the inner man, the outer man, the inner man. Look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen, Paul says, for the unseen is the reality. And see, religion says, you know, I want something real. You know, I, all this theory, you know, about the new creation, I want something real. You know, I want, a, I want someone to, you know, counsel me about my you know, I'm, doing, I'm going through this. And, and, and this, there's nothing wrong with counseling and going through emotional things and so forth. But I'm telling you, the answer is not to point people back to all the trauma and all the flesh and work through the flesh. That's not the answer. It's a deception, actually, because you feel like you're getting better because you're understanding the why. And, you know, sometimes that helps to understand the why. But you know what? It doesn't set you free. You, can, you might know a, a little bit of the why of why you're acting crazy. But that's not going to help you not be crazy. What God says is forget the flesh. Forget the, the inner child and all this stuff you went through, the trauma, whatever it was. A new day has come. Behold, behold, I do a new thing. Set your eyes on me. When they, were, when they were being bit by the snakes in the wilderness, God didn't say, now be careful of those snakes. Walk around those snakes. Watch that one especially. Step over that one. No, he said, forget the snakes. Look up. Look at the bronze serpent, the snake on the pole. A picture of Christ taking Satan to judgment. A picture of, of the prince of this world being judged and, and, the, and the greater includes the lesser. All sin has been judged. And the prince of this world has been judged. And the Spirit has come to reveal to you that the prince of this world has been judged. The serpent on the pole, even as Moses raised the serpent on the pole, so shall the Son of Man be raised up between heaven and earth. I tell you, it's an awesome work. It's an awesome work. Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus the Christ and Him crucified. For in His death on the tree, God cut away the body of the flesh of everyone who believes and raised you and I from the dead. Oh, it's awesome. And that's why He has no authority. The enemy has no authority. He's been judged. 
God held back the judgment until the sacrifice was made on the tree so that the judgment would not hit man. And then the Christ ascended and Satan was cast out of heaven as lightning, Jesus said. Michael fought and there was no place found for the dragon as the man-child was taken up into heaven. Revelation 12 says that the work finished on earth. For he bore our sins in his body on the tree, not in hell, suffering for us. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He descended to set them free, not to be punished or suffer hell for us. Scripture does not teach that. He suffered on the tree. It was his death. The blood shed on planet earth is what redeemed us. He descended to set the captives free. He descended the shield to say it is done. It is finished. I have the keys of Hades of, and Sheol, same thing, and death. And he led captivity, ca- he, ca- he took captivity captive and set them free from below. He who descended is also he who ascended that he might fill all things. Oh, man. You see, do you see the wisdom of God? What does this do? What does this do to your spirit? It sets you free. And why does it set you free? Because you are more aware of the invisible right now than you are these chairs. That's his wisdom. Union with him, with us always. Nothing dividing us anymore, separating us anymore. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Union has taken place. Awesome work. Awesome work. A great and mighty thing. And these bodies will die because sin is still in these bodies. But when he appears, we await for the redemption of the body. When he appears, we shall see him as he is. And with the power he has to to subdue all things to himself, Paul says, with the revelation of his glory... Even our mortal body shall put on immortality and be transformed, for he has the power to subdue all things to himself. Even in the very end, the same heavenly dynamic works. To see him is to be like him. And when the final revelation of him is in the physical, even the body will become like him. It happens now in the spirit. As we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, we are transformed, the mind is renewed, and the real you gets out. The spirit putting to death the deeds of the body. The spirit manifesting who you really are. For we have been created in Christ Jesus that we might really walk in the works that are already inside of you. It's your destiny. It is your DNA. You are made a partaker of the divine nature. So even as he breaks the sky and comes forth, the same dynamic as we see him, we become like him. And this time, the body itself will be transformed as we see him in his glory, the scripture says. Transformed to the same image in an instant. God is so consistent. It's all consistent. See me, believe, be saved, be born again. See me, be more, have the real you manifest. See me, and the body will be transformed. All consistent. His ways. His ways. He showed his acts. He showed his acts to the children of Israel. They saw the miracles. They saw the manifestation of his power. But he showed his ways to Moses. And we, as sons and daughters of God, can know his ways. We can know his ways. That's why there's no power in the church today. Because that's not being done. That's exactly right. I'm telling you, 
The power is already here. It's already here. I hear the sound of rain. I hear the sound of rain. The the prophets prophesied that in the latter days, the rain would fall again. And a whole new outpouring and revelation. It will be like the former and the latter. And together, the scripture says, a great harvest is coming. And it's all about the grace of God. It's all about the finished work of Christ. Recovering all that the enemy stole. Recovering everything. As he told David, you shall recover all. You shall recover all. And then some. Twelve baskets were left over. He lavishes his grace upon us. He doesn't give us just enough. Half has not been told. A new reality. Thanks, guys. Pray for me that... (laughs) Yes. Help and say it out there, God. Jesus. Lord, thank you so much. You're so awesome. Oh, God. Awesome, awesome, awesome. For all things are from you and through you and to you. Ah, Lord. What manner of love is this that you would call us the sons and daughters of God? Truly, you have brought us on eagles' wings to yourself by the power of the Spirit, opening our minds to the Scriptures and to these great and mighty things. Oh, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for the favor that rests upon us. Such favor in this covenant. I thank you for the favor that is on my brothers and sisters. I pray that they will see more and more unusual favor that's already there in their lives and in my life because of you, Lord. The favor of God rests upon the children of God. Thank you for giving us favor in a fallen world. Thank you, Lord, for these awesome truths. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Amen.